Good afternoon, everyone. This is a great crowd, and uh, we thank you all for coming. We've already had an amazing service earlier today. Wonderful people, great touch of God on our service. Would you stand with me, please? I want to read to you from the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse number 8. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers. That's my subject for you to consider today. I want to preach to you about a lodge in a garden of cucumbers. If you'll have a good attitude, you can sit down. In order for you to understand where I'm going with this today, I'm going to have to give you a little history. I'm going to give you the cliff notes, I guess, on, um, on um, the nation of Israel. Um, the, word, the word Israel, is, uh, it's very elastic in the Bible. It, it means a lot of different things. This is where we begin. It's in Genesis 37. And Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. He was with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpah. Those are those 10 other older brothers that he had, his father's wives. Um, he probably shouldn't have done this. He was a, he was a tattletale. And he brought unto his father their evil report. Watch verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. That wasn't very smart. He was the son of his old age. He made him a coat of many colors. It's all talking about Jacob. But in verse 1 and verse 2, Jacob. Verse 3, Israel. It's the same guy. It's the same guy. Jacob is, of course, the, the third in what I guess you would call the Old Testament triumvirate. 23 different times I found in the Bible reference to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as you see in Genesis 37, Israel, it's not a nation. It's just at this point in the word. It's just another name for Jacob. A name given to him by an angel. Because he hung on in a prayer meeting. In fact, in Hebrew, the word Jacob simply means the one who wrestles with God. And a great portion of the Old Testament can be melded down to that wrestling match between God and these people. Many of you have heard the phrase, the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes are nothing more than the extended families, the clans, the tribes that came from 10 of the sons of Jacob and two of his grandsons. 
And these 12 names take on enormous significance when you come to the book of Joshua, when the land of Canaan was parceled out to the various families or tribes. In the back of your Bible, you will have a map that looks like this. And um, there, of course, is a tribe, there was a tribe known as Levi. But this is where the priest, this was the Old Testament ministry staff, came from Levi. If you notice on this map, there, there is no piece of land called Levi. And there's no piece of land called Joseph. But there are two tribes known as Ephraim and Manasseh. These are Joseph's boys, and they make up the 12. These 12 tribes comprise what is known as the nation of Israel. And they stayed intact until after Solomon died. In 931 BC, they were split into two kingdoms known as Israel, 10 tribes that stayed in the north or were in the north, and Judah, the two southern tribes. So I'm trying to show you, in the beginning, Israel was just a man. Then he's an extended family. Then he's a nation. Now it's a divided nation. Israel is the 10 northern families of that 12. And this will help you understand four books in the Old Testament, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Because at least 20 times I found something that goes like this. This is Second Kings 10 and 34. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu and all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And so as you study and you start at 1 Kings and go to 2 Kings, you're going to find that the chapters bounce back and forth. And this was the king of Judah. The next chapter will say, and this was the king of Israel. And then it does it again and again and again. And when you go through the book of Kings, you come with this verse. It'll pop up. And are not the rest of his acts written in the Chronicles? So, Go over into First and Second Chronicles and you'll find it will mirror those kings and you can find out more about what happened during their reign. And um, so I'm trying to show you that, that in the beginning, Israel was just another name for a man. But in time, that man's family grew to fulfill the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12. In 12 and 2, he told Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And he did. And as long as that confederation of those 12 extended families obeyed the Lord, they were great. Nobody could conquer them. But then division came and idolatry, sin, iniquity spoiled it all. The 10 northern tribes, what is now or then known as Israel, they are the first ones to fall. They are conquered 
by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Judah stayed together for 200 more years. But in 516 B.C., Babylon, which was a world power at that time, led by an amazing king whose name was Nebuchadnezzar, came and took over Judah. And um, this is the guy that burnt down the Temple of Solomon. What, if not the greatest, and one of the most elaborate buildings the world has ever seen. And just as this story will help you to understand the book of Kings and Chronicles, it will also help you understand 17 other books in the Old Testament. 17 books of prophecy. Five are known as major prophets. Twelve are known as minor prophets. The minor prophets aren't any less important than the major. The major prophets are called that because their books are longer. That's all. Obadiah's one, one chapter, one page in a lot of Bible. But he was a prophet. And some of these prophets, like uh, Hosea, restricted his ministry was just for Israel, those ten northern tribes. And others, like Isaiah, he only preached to Judah, those two southern tribes. And the story of the nation of Israel is, in fact, everybody's story. I mean, what is the story of the Bible, anyway? In the beginning, we have Adam and Eve. They're God's kids. They're God's children. They bought into the lie of Satan. And the extended family from these two would grow to cover the world. And the Bible is a story of a patient, long-suffering Lord who made a way for that disobedient family to be reunited with their legitimate heavenly father. Israel is a microcosm. It's an abbreviated version of that bigger story. And just as he made a way for this, the church to be reconciled through the gospel message of death, burial, and resurrection. That same God is making a way for Israel to once again be a major player on the world stage. I have read to you a verse from one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, Isaiah. The book, with the exception of Psalms, The book Isaiah is the longest book in the Old Testament, 66 chapters. 66 chapters filled with very sobering sermons, rebuking Judah's sin, their rebellion, warning they're going to get judged. But along with the warnings and along with the very stern judgments that Isaiah preached. Isaiah also is known as a messenger of hope because in the last 26 chapters of his book, he talks about a suffering servant, a coming Messiah, 
who would establish a kingdom on the earth and create a new Jerusalem. In fact, to many writers, Isaiah is known as the gospel prophet. Jesus quoted him seven times. The other apostles quoted him 50 times. 57 times in the New Testament. You will find those people taking passages from the book of Isaiah. This is where you will find an Ethiopian eunuch on his way from Jerusalem after the feast, going back to his African homeland, reading something like this. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. That was the chapter that he was trying to figure out when he saw a hitchhiker standing by the side of the road by the name of Philip. He stopped and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how in the world can I unless God would send me a guide? And so when you get to Acts chapter 8, this is what it says. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. Because of the message of Isaiah. The gospel message of Isaiah. It's also in the book of Isaiah you're going to find chapter 61. These verses were considered so primal and so important. They are in fact the very first verses that Jesus used in his very first message after being baptized by John the Baptist in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That was the Jubilee year. It only happened every 50 years. It's obvious that the first year of the ministry of Jesus was a Jubilee year in Israel. But if you read the very next verse in verse 20, it says he closed the book, gave that scroll to the senior pastor, the rabbi, and he stunned them when he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. What he was saying was, you're never going to have to wait 50 years again for Jubilee. I'm Jubilee. I'm the restorer. I'm the guy that's going to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Great, great stuff found in those final chapters in the book of Isaiah. But my text has come from chapter 1. This is what the very first verse says. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Isaiah had a long, long run for a prophet. Prophets didn't live long in the Old Testament because people hated their message. Because 
unlike Isaiah, many of them are, they don't have much encouraging stuff to say. They're there to rebuke the people that they've walked away from God and he's going to correct them. There are men like Jeremiah who is known as the weeping prophet. Last week I mentioned to you something known as intercessory prayer. When you pray not for what you want, but when you pray for what God wants. You see, there's not just intercessory prayer. There is intercessory preaching. When you preach what the Lord wants to be said. I guess when you really think about it, all preaching should be intercessory. Unfortunately, flesh gets in the way and many times hijacks the message. And we fail to obey what Paul said. For we preach not ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ. I'll be the first to confess in my tenure as your pastor, there have been times I didn't preach Jesus, I preached Harold. Jeremiah is given credit for a very small book known as Lamentations. The definition of lamenting simply means to mourn. So he's a crier and he's doing a lot of rebuking. He didn't last long. In fact, Jesus rebuked Israel in Matthew 23 when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stone them which are sent unto you. Paul said this to the Thessalonian church. You killed Jesus and prophets and now you're persecuting me. Jewish tradition says, if you remember what I read to you, the first verse says that the ministry of Isaiah was over four dynasties. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Hezekiah had a boy by the name of Manasseh. Manasseh hated Isaiah so much that Jewish tradition says Isaiah ran and hid. He was an old man and he ran and hid in a hollow tree. And Manasseh commanded them to cut the tree down with the prophet inside of it. They chopped him in half with a chainsaw. Because he didn't want to hear what the prophet had to say. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard. As a lodge in a garden of cucumbers. Cucumbers. That intrigued me. Because I could only find cucumbers in one other verse in the Bible. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 4. And the mixed multitude was among them that fell a lusting. And the children of Israel wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Now our souls dried away. There's nothing at all except this manna. This is the fifth 
complaint that Israel has lodged against their Lord. I found four previous complaints that Israel made. The first is in Exodus 14. They've just eaten the Passover. They're on their way to the Red Sea. They've got a sea in front of them. They've got a king and 600 iron chariots chasing them. The tanks of the Old Testament. You have to understand, these are people that for 150 years have done nothing but lay bricks and have babies. They don't know how to fight. They are confronted with a sea in front of them and an army bearing down on them with 600 metal chariots. But it says in verse 19, and God put a pillar of cloud between them and the Egyptians. And what was light to them was darkness to Egypt. And while that army is struggling to somehow follow and stagger after them in the dark, God turns on the floodlights and they walk across on dry ground. The next murmuring is in the next chapter, chapter 15. <clears throat> they said, we have nothing to drink. And Moses cut down a healing tree at a place called Merah. It's fascinating when you read this because the Bible, I can prove to you that they were delivered on a Sunday, the morrow after the Sabbath. You're gonna find that they went three days journey into the wilderness. They came to Merah where it said the waters were bitter. This is now their, start, their second complaint. We've got nothing to drink. Moses chopped down a healing tree like it was a great picture of the cross and threw it into a bitter place so that they could drink. But then it says, and then they came to Elam where there were 12 wells and 70 palm trees. These are people that are shouting on Sunday, but by the time they come for Wednesday night Bible study, they're depressed and they're complaining. If they would have just shut their mouth and kept walking, Elam was right over the next hill. But they had to stop and complain. Complaint number three is in chapter 16. We've got nothing to eat. And the Lord miraculously provided manna. Complaint number four is in chapter 17. We've got nothing to drink. God's answer was in verse six and commanded Moses to strike the rock and water came out of that rock. If you read Corinthians 10, talking about Israel in the wilderness, it said, for they drank of that rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. I, I just wonder... Why in the world did God keep tolerating these gripers and complainers? I found the answer. It's in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24. And God heard their groaning, but he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And since he's not a man and he cannot lie, and he promised them this land, and he promised them, promised them, they would have it. He kept his word to Abraham, but it was hard because they're griping the whole time. And if you're a Bible scholar, you've already noticed that 
These forced four complaints are found in four consecutive chapters. Exodus 14, 15, 16, 17. You know that in chapter 19, all of this changes because they're at Sinai. And you come to chapter 20 where God gave his law. And he basically said, I have tolerated your complaining for a long time. But now I'm going to give you my law. If you obey it, you'll be blessed. If you disobey it, I'm going to judge you. And that's what makes their fifth complaint so terrible. Numbers chapter 11, verses 4, 5, and 6. This is after the Ten Commandments have been given. They said, we're going to die out here. And God miraculously put a barrier between them and the Egyptians. They woke up the next day and looked on the other side of the Red Sea and it's a human junkyard of twisted chariots and bloated bodies. God miraculously protected them from 600 tanks. We got nothing to drink. Bam. Water coming out of a rock that apparently would follow them for the next 39 years. We've got nothing to eat. All of a sudden you wake up and there's manna everywhere. Another place they griped about the manna and God sent them quail and buried them in quail up to their necks. This is what makes this complaint so terrible. They begin to wistfully remember those gardens that they had back in Egypt. The land that Pharaoh gave to Joseph. It's where the Nile empties all of that topsoil that it's gathered from its floods. Even to this day, it's known as the Fertile Crescent. It's the finest farmland in the continent of Africa. This is the land that Pharaoh gave to Joseph and to that family. The gardens must have been amazing. Watermelons, cantaloupes, honeydews, leeks, garlic, onions, cucumbers. I can hear them complaining now. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to have some garlic to go with this manna? Yep, with some grilled onions on top of that. And then have some watermelon for dessert. Cantaloupes. Honeydews. Boy, would I like to have a big old watermelon right now, Samuel. I'll tell you what I really miss. Cucumber. It's not by chance that years later, Isaiah is pleading with them. This is from the Amplified Version. And the daughter of Jerusalem is like a deserted booth in a vineyard. Like a lodge in a garden of cucumbers. He wanted protection. 
He protected you. You wanted water. He gave it to you. You wanted something to eat. He gave you manna. You wanted meat. He gave you quail. You wanted cucumbers. And he gave those to you as well. You have been given everything you ever wanted. You are surrounded with a vineyard full of luscious grapes and a field full of cucumbers. But the booth you were supposed to occupy is vacant. And the place that I gave you to live in is empty. We are technically known as a 5013C nonprofit ecclesiastical corporation. Churches are known as nonprofit organizations. What an oxymoron. What a contradiction in terms. Terms like jumbo shrimp. Or if you're a golfer, a metal wood. Or military intelligence. Or airline cuisine. Those words don't belong together. Non-profit organization. We've been blessed. Far beyond what we deserve. And we're like Israel. Complaining all the while. Drinking water that defies the laws of physics. And follows us. Eating bread that shows up every morning. All the while being protected. And covered in a world that can only be described as a wilderness. I know there is a difference in the spelling between P-R-O-F-I-T and P-R-O-P-H-E-T. But not are we not non-profit. Dear God, help us not to be non-profit. Please hear the word of the Lord today when I read to you. Make a joyful noise. Unto the Lord. Oh, ye lands. <laughs> There's a phrase, I found it on YouTube. They call it Karens. We've got some Karens in this church. We got Karen Blankenship. We have Karen Breeza, who my precious wife refers to as Boreza. I'll put Karen Blankenship and Karen Bariza against all them YouTube Karens any day of the week. Because they're not gripers. They're not complainers. I heard a guy, I was at the gas station this week, and there was a guy parked behind me, cussing, yelling, screaming about how much gas was. I mean making a show. I look on the other side of the pump and a young black mom pulls up on the other side of the pump. Got two little girls in seats in 
you know, the little child seat in the back. I'm watching these little girls. I'm looking at this car. It's all banged up and scratched. And there's not a piece of metal on it that doesn't have a dent. I'm watching these two little girls sharing one little juice pack. And I'm looking through the window and I watch this mom just rummaging through every crevice in her purse to find $3. She starts to get out of her car and I can't stand it, man. She gets out of that car and I said, now just get back in that car. And she looked at me like, oh my goodness, who's this nut job? (laughs) She said, pardon me. I said, sweetheart, every week I do something for somebody that doesn't know me. Today's your day. Please get back in your car. It's cold. She's going to put $3 of gas in her tank. It's not even a gallon now. I filled it up to the top. I went to walk away. All of a sudden, this woman is there, big old tears. She said, I didn't think there were people like you still around. I said, honey, there's lots of guys like me left. There's a lot of great people on this planet. I just wanted you to know that I love you, sweetheart. You have a good day. Drove away. Serve the Lord with gladness. Listen, listen to what this says. If you're going to make noise, make it a joyful noise. Don't make a negative noise. Don't make a faithless noise. My God have mercy. Has there ever been a time when we need people, faith-filled people, who know how to make a joyful noise? To serve the Lord with gladness and not gloomy. Why? We're not just anybody. We're his people. We're his sheep. We're not just on any old field right now. We're in his pasture. We are his people. We're his sheep. We're in his pasture. I'm telling you, in that Old Testament, in the tabernacle of Moses, there was three doors. There was a gate that got you to the outer court. There was a door that got you to the holy place. And then there was a veil that got you into the holy of holies. When you drive off of Dequinder and you get on that driveway, that's, that's the gate. You got that? Don't even drive on this property without thanksgiving. You ought to be tickled to death. You're still alive. Still have the ability. Still, oh, Jesus. Enter into them gates with thanksgiving. And when you're fortunate enough to come through the doors of this sanctuary, do it with praise. And every so often, we're going to hit the magic formula and we're going to break through the veil of the flesh and we're going to get into the Holy of Holies. And it's not thanksgiving or praise, it's worship. Because it's an old Middle English term that means worship. Because you understand how valuable he is to have in your life. (laughs) For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth is not going to disappear it's going to endure listen to what this word says make a joyful noise serve the Lord with gladness 
for goodness sakes, ask yourself a question. Where in the world would we be right now if it wasn't for the Lord in our lives? I am not what I used to be, but thank God. Amen. I'm on the road to something I've never been. I'm not all I want to be, but I'm not who I used to be. Oh, joy is not an option for a child of God. The Bible said, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. Jesus said, leap for joy. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. In our language, R-E in front of something as a prefix means you've done it before. The only people who can rejoice are the ones who have already been doing it. No wonder the writer said, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice because that's a lifestyle with rejoicers. I'm going to offer a rejoice and I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Listen to a word written years ago by a guy who was raised in captivity and miraculously delivered. And they're building their very first church house back in the homeland. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. People, I've heard people say, you know, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Yeah, that's not the way it starts. This is the way it starts. It said, submit yourself to God. Ladies and gentlemen. To many people, I'm a preacher. To others, I'm a pastor. I can't burglarize your will. I wish to God I, I, I could stick a gun in your ribs and say you're going to heaven whether you want to go to or not. You're going to be faithful to church whether you want to or not. You're going to tithe whether you want to or not. I, I wish I could do it. There's some people I, I'd just like to kill them tell God they died. I'm telling you the gospel truth. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. There's something I'm trying to, it's just, you, you will, listen, uh, boy, here we, you're never going to, you have something in your life that, that, that has authority over you. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about, do you have a hobby? Do you have a habit? Do you have a relationship that, that's, that's a non-growth situation and you can't beat it? You can't break it. The Bible says and teaches, if you, you will never have authority over things in your life until you're willing to voluntarily submit your to godly authority. I know that's a plum for the, for the pastor and for the, I know I get it, but I can't make you do it. All I can do is live my life. I, I, all I can do in this church is create a good environment where you make good choices. We've been talking it among the staff and leaders here for the last couple of weeks. We're getting all these calls, amazing calls from all over the country. Brother Hoffman, would you come? Would, would, would you let Pastor Mike come? We, could, could, maybe he could bring Pastor John. What, 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 what about Dre? Do you think? You, and, and, and we're asking him, why? why? We, we had a man come here not, not terribly long ago. He spent a couple days with us. And literally after the second day, he said, all right, I want you guys to level with me. 
Are you putting on the dog? Do you always act like this for one another? Or are you just doing this because I'm here? And they said, no, this is the way we interact all week long. This is the way we are. And he said, oh, man, would I give body parts if I could have this unity on my team, if I could have this unity on my staff. And that pastor's going to have that unity, and he's going to have that oneness. Amen. Because him and his wife are an amazing team. But I want you to understand something right now, ladies and gentlemen. That there, 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 there is... <laughs> it's a culture you know what a culture dish is if you've ever been in chemistry it's two little clear plastic things and one fits inside another and you just scrape something off of something and you put it in there and you add a little solution and you just put it in a cold or a warm dark place for a couple days all of a sudden you pull that dude out and there's mushrooms in there and there's all kinds of mold and mildew it's called it's, it's a culture dish it's where you grow stuff that's why what's going on here is so powerful because we've created a, a culture of prayer we've created a culture of giving a culture of worship a culture of kindness that's what's going on here you pr- pr- protect that with every part of your being ladies and gentlemen because as we voluntarily submit to things God will give us authority over things submit yourself to God resist the devil and he will flee from you you're not going to ever resist Satan unless you have strength so where are you going to get the strength to resist Satan the joy of the Lord is the source of your strength I'm not talking about what gives you joy. I don't want to know whether you like to fish or whether you like to hunt or whether you like to do this. I'm not talking talking about what brings you joy. What brings God joy? We were created by him and for him and for his pleasure we were created. I'm telling you that when your life brings pleasure to your God, there is a strength that will come into your life because you're not living for yourself anymore. Now, thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph. And I was reading that thinking, I wonder where that is first mentioned in the Bible. And you go back to Exodus 15 and Moses and the children that have been miraculously delivered from Egypt. Wake up the next morning and look on the other side of the Red Sea and it's destruction. It's just twisted things, bloated bodies. Miriam got her tambourine. And this is what Moses said. He has cast the horse and rider into the sea. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed. Now you better memorize that. Because the Bible said one day we're going to the New Jerusalem. And it says, you're going to sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. That's Moses' song. He always caused me to triumph. He always wins. He always comes out on top. It doesn't say everything that happens to you is going to be good. But it does say everything works together for good. I was talking to someone this morning and they're going through such a difficult time in their life 
And I said, let me quote you a scripture. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're not the first one to go through this. You're not the only one to go through this. There have others that have gone through it, and there will be others more that will go through it. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common man. But God will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape. But it goes on to say that you may be able to bear it. See, my idea of escape is getting out. But that's not what happened to the three boys in the furnace. They stayed in the furnace. And God was glorified in the middle of the furnace. He didn't take Daniel out of the lion's den. He left him in the lion's den. And the next morning, the king said, oh, Daniel, are you? And he said, oh, king, live forever. The Lord has sent an angel and shut the lion's mouth. Stand with me. I preach to you today the word of the Lord. I'm telling you that with your problem, your problem is never a solo. Your problem is never a one-off. Your problem is always a duet. Your problem always comes with a twin. That when you have a temptation, God will with that temptation also make a way of escape. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, Do not allow the enemy to burglarize your time on this earth and make you feel empty and depleted and of no value and of no use. That's a lie. Go back to that place that God created for you and look through the window and look at all them cucumbers on the ground. We're surrounded with blessings. We're surrounded with beauty. We're surrounded with bounty. Oh, Jesus. I'm driving to church early this morning with my wife. The fog's lifting. And we're like saying it in unison. Wow, look at that tree. Look at that one. it, It may be just me and I'm getting older, but it just seems to me like the maples are redder this year than I've ever remembered them being. The pinks, the oranges, the yellows, the flu, on and on. It's just, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't even, it says, it says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen because of the things that are made so that you are without excuse. I didn't have to come to church to magnify God. I could magnify God on my way to church today. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. My brother and sister, if God cares enough for a maple and an oak and a hickory, amen, to paint it in all this splendor and all that beauty. The Bible said Solomon in all of his grandeur couldn't compare to the beauty of the natural world. But I'm telling you, natural things are indicative of spiritual truths. For that is not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural and afterward that which is spiritual. And when you drive down these Michigan lanes for the next two weeks and look at these amazing colors, it ought to do something to you. You you ought to look through your window and go, look at them melons. Look at them onions. Look at them cucumbers. Not only did he give me something to drink and something to eat, man, he gave me dessert as well. I refuse to be a complainer and a griper and say, oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. God has given me everything I ever hoped for. God has blessed us so richly. For God's sakes, don't leave your house in the middle of the garden vacant. 
Go back to that amazing place that he said, I'm going to take you into a land and you're going to live in a house that you didn't build. You're going to drink from wells you didn't dig. You're going to sup from vineyards you didn't plant. I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. What he didn't tell him was somebody else owned the cows and somebody else owned the bees. And yes, there's going to be a struggle. And yes, there's going to be a battle. But this is not going to be a gloomy gust church. This is not going to be a negative pulpit. This is not going to be like, I had three different calls this week. My God, Putin's going to drop a nuclear weapon. We're all going to get hosed. And it's like, let me tell you something, friend. You read that Bible. Amen. I'm going to serve him. Because before all that mess happens, he's going to gather up his jewels. He's going to gather up his gems. Oh, I'll I'll do it later. It's not original with me. But you go through history and you go through the Bible and there were gods, gods that people worship. I'm telling you, those gods have been in mothballs for years. But them gods are alive again right now. And this world is worshiping those gods. But I'm telling you, there's a God above all gods. There's a King of kings. There's a Lord of lords. I and you are living in a world and a culture that is falling down to the wrong gods. Dear Jesus, lift up your head. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your hands. Lift up your voice. And the King of glory will come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Jesus' name. Can you see the cucumbers? Can you see the melons? Or all you're going to do is gripe about what you wish God would have done for you. Not me. I want to be like David. I will bless the Lord who only does wonderful things. Come with me around this altar. Come clapping. Come praising God. Don't come quietly. You use... We're going to sing. And it's not going to just be you looking at the praise team. We're all in the choir right now. You got that? We're all going to be singing. We're all going to magnify God. Because to too many people, church is a place to go to. Not first church. First church is a place to go from. We are here today. This is the first day of the week. You have heard the word of the Lord, been exposed to his presence, heard this music. I want you to filter out of this place in just a little while as a witness and a light. Amen. A city set on a hill. I want you to touch people. If you got to buy them gas, buy them gas. If you're going to go out to eat, tip your waitress really, really, really good. Let them know we're not cheapskate bums. I'm telling you, beans go to $5 a bean. God's going to supply the beans. We're going to build us a new temple in that grass right there. I don't care what the culture does. I don't care what the economy does. I'm grateful that the kingdom of God is not tied to an economic index. God's going to take care of us and going to enable us to do something in this city that magnifies him. Keep your eyes on him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Proof of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. I know we're surrounded with some garbage right now. Keep your eyes, keep your eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. Let's sing together. Let's sing together. Your promise still.